Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. While the state of US politics is very cloudy, to say the least right now, the election ending in a controversial stalemate, Donald Trump refusing to concede while throwing around lawsuits and claims of illegal voting, there's still a woman who has spent the last four years living beside her husband in the White House, who's been the intense focus of media scrutiny and who's had to endure unfavourable comparisons to her predecessors. We're talking about, of course, First Lady Melania Trump. As an immigrant and a very independent woman. I understand what a privilege it is to live here and to enjoy the freedoms and opportunities that we have. What legacy will the only second first lady to be born outside of the United States leave behind her when and if her husband admits defeat? And how has the job Melania holds now, and which is about to be handed to Dr Jill Biden, changed over the years? Today, we look at the lives and influence of America's first ladies. The term First Lady was first used to describe the woman who accompanied President James Buchanan at events. Buchanan was the only president who was never married while serving his term, so his niece Harriet would go with him in place of a wife. In 1858, a publication called Harper's Weekly called Harriet Our Lady of the White House, and in 1860, the illustrated newspaper referred to her as the First Lady in the Land. When Mary Todd Lincoln stepped into the role with husband Abe at the helm, the term First Lady was now well and truly in the American vocabulary, even though Honest Abe called his wife Mrs President. The role back then, as it still partly is now, is of White House hostess. The First Lady expected to entertain influential guests, choose the menus and wine lists, where people sit and who's invited. But over time, the role has evolved into so much more than that. And sometimes the message from the First Lady shines out over that of her leader husband. When someone is cruel or acts like a bully, you don't stoop to their level. No, our motto is, when they go low, we go high. Kate Anderson Brower is the author of First Women, The Grace and Power of America's Modern First Ladies. Kate, firstly, how has the role evolved over time? Well, you know, first ladies are really their husband's most important advisors. If you look back at Michelle Obama, for instance, you know, she was pivotal, very important in helping her husband decide on what his campaign motto was in 2008, change you can believe in. I mean, that was something that she was advocating for and they asked her what she thought. And if she didn't like it, they would have to do something else. Nancy Reagan was essentially the human resources department in her husband's administration, deciding who would be in her husband's cabinet, who would be fired, who would be hired. But her actual job description is non-existent. So each woman really defines the role herself. Who was the first to attach their time in the White House 
to a cause because they all seem to have a thing that they work towards during their husband's time in office. Lady Bird Johnson and her Highway Beautification Act, that was one of the first first ladies to have a specific cause. Now, of course, Eleanor Roosevelt was hugely influential during World War II, but she didn't have an official cause per se. It was very far-reaching. So it was Lady Bird's Highway Beautification Act, which was really cleaning up America's highways, which were littered, and there were billboards everywhere, and she loved nature. And so she's kind of an early environmentalist. So a lot of these first ladies are really at the forefront of change, and a lot of them are well ahead of their time. How have previous first ladies described what it's like to live and work in the White House? Well, some of them, like Michelle Obama, have called it a prison atmosphere. You know, they feel very much under siege. So we go to the door and the door is locked. So now there are many people behind us, the uniform policeman, the usher who's in charge of the house, and they don't know what to do, right? And they're like, uh, ma'am, where are you going? I say, I'm going out. I'm going, I'm, we're going out. We're going outside. And they're watching because, and they're calling in more people. She's trying to get out. She's trying to get out. It's a very nice prison, as Michelle Obama said. And she said it jokingly, but I think there is a sense that every first lady shares that they're living in this fishbowl atmosphere and everything they do is under a microscope and they can never please everybody. But I do think that most first ladies, if they stick to the role of mother, wife, non-political agenda items, then their poll rating is usually much higher than their husband. So I think that the American people want to like their first lady, even though most first ladies feel uh, like they are constantly being scrutinized. There is an idea that the first lady of America has to be perfect. Have they spoken out over the years about that pressure to never make a mistake and to always say and do the right thing and dress correctly? Oh, absolutely. And I think in some ways, it can seem a bit demeaning, right? When you have someone like Michelle Obama, who went to Harvard and Princeton, we've had many first ladies with graduate degrees. And yet their every outfit is being scrutinized. And there's something called fashion diplomacy, you know, the idea that they are deciding who they're going to wear to a state dinner, which designer they're wearing that night, and what kind of message does that send. And that kind of does seem like it undermines their intelligence. But I think it also is important because it is a real visual cue. And if a first lady visits a foreign country, she's often wearing a designer from that country to pay respect to the country they're visiting. So, yeah, I think they are often trivialized and sometimes vilified, really unfairly. But I also think it's a job with such enormous responsibility and potential that it's hard for any first lady to really complain about it because they can really pick up the phone, as Lady Bird Johnson once said, and change someone's life. And there are a few jobs where you can say that. Now, talking about the fashions of the first ladies, Melania Trump has been celebrated for her great style and she wears amazing clothes, but she's also been criticised for some of her choices. Do you think she was sending very clear messages with the outfits that she chose? I'm talking about, of course, the jacket that had the slogan on the back when she went to visit the children who were 
essentially placed into cages on the border at Mexico. And then, of course, she wore the pussy bow shirt after the comments came out that her husband had said about grabbing women. Is she making a statement? I think she's actually having fun with it and likes to taunt the media a bit. I think that she's not making the statement that we all assumed she was, which is that she's saying that she's a feminist, right? The idea that she wore that pussy bow blouse, the idea she wore all white to one of his State of the Union addresses, and then the famous jacket that you mentioned. I think what they are is poking fun at the media's obsession with what she's wearing. You know, we've heard these tapes with her former friend, Stephanie Winston Wolkoff, where she talked about how unfairly she was treated by the media. And she said that the jacket was really a message to the press saying, you know, I really don't care what you think of me. But she definitely stepped on her own message that day that she went to the border, which was really a humane act. And yet all we were talking about was the jacket, right? Because it just was so bizarre. So... I think she is such a unique first lady because she's so private, intensely private. And I know she has a very small staff. So she doesn't have a lot of people to tell her what to do. And she doesn't listen to a lot of people who try to tell her what to do. So she's incredibly independent. During each first lady's tenure, it seems they are required to do some kind of interior decorating. Where did that start and why is it the thing? It's one of those very ultra-feminine, traditional, old-fashioned responsibilities that first ladies take up. It's like choosing the dinner menu for their family every week, which is another thing they have to do, and managing the residence. And, you know, Jackie Kennedy really famously came to the White House and was very upset by what she saw. She thought it was run down, and there was no furniture representing earlier administrations. And so she came in after the Eisenhower's and absolutely changed the way that people see the residence and the state floor of the White House. And she brought in antiques. She brought in priceless pieces of furniture from Washington and Monroe's administration. I mean, she loved history and she knew what she was doing. All three pictures in this room are by Healy. There's Thomas Jefferson, a copy after Stewart. And then there's Daniel Webster, who didn't live here, but he visited the White House for 40 years. And then the most famous one of all is this one of Abraham Lincoln, which traditionally always hung in the state dining room. She raised an incredible amount of money to do it. And so I would say Jackie Kennedy is really the first modern first lady who cared so much about the interior. And you're right, each first lady has redone it piece by piece. You had some first ladies doing the Lincoln bedroom. Every first lady works on the second floor, which is where the family lives. And they can pretty much do what they want upstairs. But it's the main floor. It's the rooms that are open to the public, like the East Room, for instance, that they really can't touch without getting the White House curator's approval. So, There are limitations on what they can do. Which First Lady do you think's had the most influence politically? You mentioned Eleanor Roosevelt already, but Hillary Clinton notoriously was very involved in her husband's administration and Rosalind Carter was as well. Who's been the most influential politically? 
Well, I think you'd have to say Hillary Clinton. When her husband ran, he said he was running on a buy one, get one free campaign. And she took over health care reform, which she was unsuccessful at. But she was the first first lady to kind of challenge the expectations that we have that a first lady should be handling the traditional East Wing activities, the East Wing being the first lady's purview, being date dinners and guest lists and flower arrangements. Hillary wanted to do much more, and she tried to. The American public at the time did not want her to. The majority of people were not happy with that. But she was still incredibly influential. And his second term, she went to China and made a famous speech on human rights. This is truly a celebration, a celebration of the contributions women make in every aspect of life, in the home, on the job, in the community, as mothers, wives, sisters, daughters, learners, workers, citizens, and leaders. And she traveled all over the world promoting women's rights and kind of modeled herself after Eleanor Roosevelt. So I would say you'd have to say Hillary Clinton was the most politically influential first lady. This current election with President-elect Joe Biden, his first lady, Dr. Jill Biden, looks like she's going to be the first first lady to have a full-time job outside of the White House. And of course, with Kamala Harris being the vice president, we have the first second man in the White House. Do you see the roles really shifting from this point on? I don't really, because I think that, you know, we still have a female first lady, right? I think if we had a male, you know, first gentleman, for instance, I guess you'd call him, that would really shift the expectations. I do think that having Kamala Harris's husband be second gentleman, which I think is what they'll call him, although that's not official yet, I think that will help. And I think having Joe Biden continue teaching um, is hugely important and is something that Laura Bush was calling for. I mean, she had said when she was first lady that, you know, it was about time that a first lady continued their career in the White House and get paid for their job. And so I think what Joe Biden will do is show that you can maintain your own identity and still be a support to your husband. But I think that it's going to present a lot of challenges because there's a huge difference between being second lady and first lady. It's just going to be harder for her not to have a footprint, you know, for people not to know where she is. So I think it's a really good idea to try. Let's wait and see if she can do it. Whether it be Jackie Kennedy's style and sadness, Betty Ford's addiction honesty, Nancy Kennedy's fight against drugs and the support of her husband even when Alzheimer's took his memory, the first African-American first lady and champion for healthier children, Michelle Obama, the one of only two first ladies who would both serve in the White House and then raise a son who would also go on to be president, Barbara Bush, the legacy of first ladies past is as individual as the women who served in the role. What Melania's will be, though, is yet to be determined. I think that she is going to be known as a very independent, fiercely protective mother. I think that her decision not to move into the White House right away was a brave one. I think that she's done some good in trying to dial back the negativity on Twitter and whatnot. But I also think that she was in this impossible position 
because of her husband being such a divisive figure around the world. So I think it will be very mixed. I think Republicans love Melania Trump and really respect and revere her. So it depends on who you ask how her legacy will be seen. But I think no one can debate that she has been one of the most private and really unknowable first ladies in American history. This episode of The Quickie was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, with audio production by Ian Camilleri and guest booking by Mel Zauer. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.